spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paragons of Earth, the exciting new superhero comic I'm working on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. For this comic, we've unearthed a number of obscure and forgotten Golden Age superheroes, plucked them from the depths of the public domain, and completely redesigned and reinvented them for the modern day. It's an exciting cast of characters, and we're throwing them up against the threat of a Lovecraftian apocalypse. It's got action, it's got drama, it's got alternate dimensions and alien worlds, and it's even got a giant shark in a Hawaiian shirt. What else could you want? But in order to make this comic a reality, we need your help. The comic is crowdfunding now, and you can help support it by going to crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder, without the E, dot com slash paragonscomic. You'll be able to find that link in the show notes, so please double check if you didn't quite get it. Please help make this comic a reality. We are counting on your support. And now, on with the show. first home vision and I ever shared. Pietro was dead and I was in a new country. I was all alone. Vision? I apologize. I don't mean to intrude. You don't? Well, I suppose, yes, I did intend to come in here. And now? And, well, whatever is your preference. It is funny because of the grievous injury the man just suffered. No, he's not really injured. Ah. How can you be certain? It's not that kind of show. Wanda, I don't presume to know what you're feeling, but I would like to know. Should you wish to tell me, should that be of some comfort to you? What makes you think that talking about it would bring me comfort. 
Oh, see, I read that... Uh, the only thing that would bring me comfort is seeing him again. washing over me again and again. It knocks me down, and when I try to stand up, it just comes for me again. And I can't. It's just gonna drown me. No. No, it won't. <laughs> How do you know? Well, because it can't all be sorrow, can it? I've always been alone, so I don't feel the lack. It's all I've ever known. I've never experienced loss because I've never had a loved one to lose. But what is grief? If not love, persevering. It was very funny, wasn't it? <laughs> welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming a new guest today, and that is Scott Onig. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, we actually met through a, a mutual friend, Anthony Desiato. Uh, you've been on his show, Digging for Kryptonite, as have I. And um, I was on there, uh, the last time I was on there, we were talking about uh, Steven Siegel's uh, Superman run and his uh, It's a Bird. I think it was, was it called It's a Bird, the graphic novel? It's a Bird, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great so we were episode. talking about that. Yeah, and... Um, and you had some uh, pretty interesting things to say about that. And then Anthony put us in touch and we started chatting. And I said, well, let's have you come on, come on my show then to have a, you know, a little bit of uh, cross podcast synergy going on. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. It's always really great to meet other people in that sphere. Uh, doing the podcast with Anthony uh, occasionally has been uh, one of the great joys of my uh, recent life. So I'm happy mm -hmm. to do it again and uh, with you. Yeah, same here. Um, so before we go too much further into that, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so I have been, let's see, reading and collecting comics since I was about 12 years old. So uh, well over 30 years at this point. And uh, I, somewhere in college, became sort of a comic scholar. I crossed over that line. Not, a, not sure exactly when that happened, but at some point I realized I was I was diving deeper in than just the casual fandom um and just uh brought it into my professional life i'm a high school english teacher on long island and uh there's not a class i teach that doesn't have at least one uh graphic novel in it and i'm fortunate my district lets me teach whole classes on graphic novels for high schoolers 
and middle schoolers. Uh, so much so that uh, I've been, I, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the use of comics and graphic novels in the high school ELA classroom. So uh, needless to say, this is this is definitely a passion of mine. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. That is so cool. Like that is um, that is stuff that I wish I could do here. But um, my classes are all uh, Japanese students of varying levels of English ability. So yeah. so um, I do teach a literature class and I have been given the green light to introduce some more um, some non-Japanese stuff to them. But usually I try to have Japanese translations and mm. with with books and short stories, that's generally pretty easy. It's a little bit more complicated with comics, though, to find uh, Japanese translations of them. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so you, you talked a little bit about, you know, being into comic books since way back. Uh, so what was it that kind of got you into comics in the first place? It's hard to say. I don't remember exactly the, the moment. I can tell you that the, the, the first comic that really grabbed me and the first one that I ever bought with my own money, and this won't come as much of a surprise, but it was, uh, Jim Lee's X-Men number one from 1991. So I saw the cover. I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of the X-Men before and I, I bought it. I read it. I didn't understand the darn thing. And uh, I just knew that I wanted to understand it really badly. I knew that it was cool, but I didn't know why I, and I wanted to explore more. So I started collecting forwards and backwards and, you know, X-Men became my gateway drug and, you know, it expanded into everything uh, you know, now if, if it's good, I'll buy it and I'll read it. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, what happened with me as well. For me, it wasn't mm -hmm. the it wasn't the comics though. My first exposure to the X Men was the the that original line of action figures they had, and they had the Wolverine uh, one with the with the 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 ring mask and the and the pop out claws. And I'm just like, <laughs> who is this guy? This guy looks cool. And then it wasn't until several years later they came out with the animated series, and from and I'm like, oh, I remember that guy. And then from then on, I was hooked, and it was just you know. Uh, X-Men was my gateway drug. It got me into the comics. And then just like you, I was also doing forwards and backwards to try and make sense of all the continuity yeah. in the in the 90s. And, you know, going to the library and checking out every single interlibrary loan they had with graphic novels in them. Wow. Yeah, I wish I had known that at the time. I, I didn't access the library at all. I had no clue that that would even be available there. <laughs> um. So, yeah, uh, very similar starting points and uh mostly i know you from your the superman connection so um i didn't, didn't realize you were such a big x-men guy too but i'm also looking at uh so uh people who are listening to the show you can't see us but uh scott's got a whole big uh cabinet of graphic novels and some x-men um memorabilia there behind him including a very sweet looking magneto helmet and uh mjolnir yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Magneto helmet, uh, I based my entire Halloween costume on this year. I saw that and I couldn't resist. And now it's now it's a demonstration showpiece. You know. Nice, very nice. Uh so another thing we like to talk about on this show is what kind of got or what what kind of stuff have you been into lately? Anything that's been grabbing your attention, anything that's really kind of getting you excited these days? Yeah, so oddly enough, in recent months uh, slash years. I've been moving a little bit away from the mainstream superhero comics, uh, Marvel and DC stuff. I mean, if something's really great, I'll still grab it. But, you know, being a reader for this long, you start to see the, the cyclical nature of the comics where mm -hmm. characters are introduced, they die, they come back, they change their costume, bad guys turn good, good guys turn bad. And you know, it's, it's just the illusion of change rather than actual change because these 
serialized stories have to continue to appeal to new and younger audiences. And, and so being, you know, in my mid forties, I'm probably not the target demographic, nor should I be. Um, mm. So I've been gravitating more towards independent publishers, specifically in the thriller horror genre. So writers like James Tinney and the fourth and Scott Snyder and uh, Chips Darsky, you know, guys like that who are, who are really kind of breaking new ground in comics and, just doing wild, weird, mind-bending kind of kind of stories that I really, really like. And they're finding mm -hmm. incredible artists to pair with as well. So, you know, usually I'll gravitate towards something thriller horror related. And that that is my my fix for escapism recently. Cool. Uh anything, any of those um creators got any books that particularly have been grabbing your attention these days? Yeah, so James Tynion's uh, Department of Truth from Image Comics yes. is one of my favorites. I was Absolutely. that was that was that was right where my mind went as soon as you mentioned his name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, it's probably the best first issue I've ever read, um, oh, yeah. and it, it's just so trippy. Um, and you know, based in some real history and American culture, but just takes it to you know X Files levels and beyond. And I'm just I'm just digging the hell out of it. Yeah, I was a I was a huge, you know, I, I became a follower of conspiracy culture and all that in the 90s because of the X-Files, like like a lot of people did. And just doing more and more research into it over the years and, you know, finding out, you know, digging through like, you know, what is true and what is not. And, you know, finding out about and just examining like all these parallels and all these different conspiracy theories over the years. And so I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff that, you know, kind of mm -hmm. dissected like uh, Knowledge Fight or Behind the Bastards. And so when that first issue came out I, or when I when I when I got the first trade, I read it. And that first chapter, that first issue was it just it is a masterclass in suspense and in drawing yeah. you in. It is so good, guys. If for, for anyone listening, if you have not read Department of Truth, definitely give that a read. Yeah, it's pushing the boundaries of what comics can accomplish. I mean, you know, mm. his, his artist on that series, Martin Simmons, is not an artist I necessarily would have enjoyed on a mainstream superhero title. Mm. Um, I know that I would have rejected it out of hand. It's just so scratchy. It's got this sort of Bill Sienkiewicz, Dave McKean quality to it, yeah. um, which I don't love on my bright, colorful superheroes. But there's something about that style the ambiguity of the images that partner really, really well with the ambiguity in the storytelling. I just think it's, it's firing on, on every cylinder you can imagine. I just, I just adore that book. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for my part, the thing that has been grabbing that I am interested in lately, uh, which I just saw over the weekend was the Marvels. And that has uh, both a connection to what we were talking about with the X-Men stuff and also with what we're going to be talking about today. But I finally got to see I got to see that over the weekend. Um, my wife gave me permission to go take the night and go watch it. And and, you know, I've been seeing all the negative reviews of it. And I just I don't get it. I had a blast. I thought it was so much fun. You know, the watching um monica and carol and um kamala interact with each other was great felt uh it it was a welcome change for nick fury after what we got out of secret invasion so that was also a very nice uh very pleasant surprise too and uh i'm not going to spoil anything but it's got a it's got an amazing uh mid credit scene as well uh -huh. yeah haven't gotten a chance to see it yet it's on my to-do list for this week maybe this weekend um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the negative reviews are going to be out there, particularly when mm. you've got a, a female-led 
movie, you know, so just some rub some people the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I, I like all three characters. I like all three actors. Uh, I'm excited to see it. I, I want it to just be fun. I don't need it to be brilliant. I just mm. want it to be fun. And you're not the first person I've heard say that it just is fun. It just is fun. Yeah. It and um and the fact that it's got it's the shortest of all the Marvel movies, I think that's actually a good thing. I mean, not every movie needs to be this sprawling two and a half, three hour epic. It's it's nice to just have like an hour, you just sit in the theater for an hour and forty minutes and just, you know, enjoy a drink and and watch the movie and just be entertained. And it definitely delivers on that. I mean, the only real thing about it is it's got a weak villain, but that's that's come to be expected from a lot of Marvel movies. So it's nothing yeah. that's, you know. Uh, a sin against nature or anything like that. Yeah, I'd hope at this stage that they may have uh, learned from some of the errors in terms of the villains of the past, but uh, maybe it's just not the most important thing at this point. So I'll, I can probably I, let yeah. It go. Yeah, yeah. It, um, but it's it's a great character movie. Like just like it, it, it's got the feel of a good road trip movie type of thing, right? You know, you got these three characters who got these uh, in, interacting with each other. And it's just a lot of fun. Great. Looking forward to it. And based on your assessment, I'm, I'm even more excited now. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Um, so then today that does serve as a nice um, segue into today's piece, which is we're talking about WandaVision, the first of the MCU uh, Disney Plus series. Um, now, before we talk too much about the series, uh, I obviously know you from primarily from your Superman associations. Now I know you're also a big X-Men guy. But what about the Avengers and Vision and Scarlet Witch in particular? Do you have any sort of past associations with them uh, in the comics? Uh, yeah, I mean, I started reading Avengers in the late 90s uh, when they started doing the Heroes Return after the big Heroes Reborn uh, debacle. I think I could sa safely call it a debacle at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when Kurt Busiek and, and George Perez brought the Avengers back, um, it felt classic but also new at the same time um and wanda and vision featured very heavily on the roster from mm -hmm. fairly early on i mean the first storyline focused entirely on wanda um and a lot of it was the interplay between wanda and vision who obviously had had a romantic relationship in, in the past and then her current romance with wonder man uh, in that book at the time. And so I was very into the emotional stakes and the, the interpersonal relationships. So yeah, that got me into the characters pretty well. And then I was reading all the way through, you know, the house of M stuff with no more mutants and, and, you know, the destruction of vision with the uh, Avengers disassembled. And mm -hmm. so I've been following the characters since then. And like I did with X-Men, I started reading Avengers, you know, forwards and backwards. So, you know, I've learned the whole history and, you know, of course, Tom King's vision series is mm -hmm. one that I return to frequently in my classes because it's just, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece in storytelling. Um, uh, I haven't really had an op much of an opportunity to work with Wanda in class, except for a brief, um, presentation on her for a feminist literature class that i taught last year oh that's um, interesting because i think she yeah she fits really well with that in, in terms of what's been done with her mm -hmm. in, in the comics and the show and, and all that so yeah i mean my 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 association with them isn't as strong as it is let's say for superman or the x-men but um i do consider them among my favorite characters yeah yeah, I came in through um through Busick's Avengers run as well. I think that was the first comic book outside of the X Men that I started buying monthly, and that was my first introduction to the Avengers. And 
wow, what an introduction with, with those characters. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I especially gravitated towards Vision. Like he's probably my favorite Avenger. So when, wow. um, so I was never expecting him to, to get introduced in the movies at all. Cause I'm like, well, it's Vision, right? Like he's nobody's favorite Avenger except for me. So <laughs> we're probably not going to see him in any of the movies. And then when they announced him in Age of Ultron, I'm like, oh, sweet. I bet he's just going to be a minor character. We're not going to see much. And when I saw Age of Ultron, there's this brief look when he rescues Wanda between them. I'm like, that's probably the only Easter egg we'll ever get hinting at their relationship. <laughs> and then we get Civil War. And that I was so blown away by um, Bettany and um, Olsen in that in that movie and just the very brief scenes they have. We got a lot of Vision's characterization in just very brief uh, minutes in that movie. And then from there to Infinity War and then and then WandaVision. So I was, I was all in for this series. Well, I wasn't all in for the series. I was very intrigued once they said that vision was going to be a part of it because Wanda, yeah. I've never really cared much too much one way or the other about her. Like she's never been my favorite Avenger. She's never even been like in my top 10 Avengers. So her character, like didn't really, never really interest me. I was always much more invested in Pietro than, than Wanda, to be honest. Um, but uh, but Vision was always my guy. And so when they said that Paul Bettany was going to be a part of it, that got me a lot more interested. And but even still, like the whole sitcom approach, like I I still wasn't sure of the of that first wave of MCU TV shows. You had um, it was WandaVision, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki and um, I'm blanking on the fourth one. Was there a fourth one at that point? Maybe No, maybe you're right. Maybe it was just maybe it was maybe just, it was just three. those three at yeah. the first um uh, yeah yeah so I, I so those three then um and of those three uh falcon and winter soldier was probably the one i was looking forward to the most just because i love those characters i love that you know that spy espionage stuff i love the the whole lethal weapon approach they had to going with <laughs> yeah. um with sam and bucky uh so that was the one i was looking forward to the most then loki was like the the second uh on the list and then wandavision was kind of like the distant third and then what ended up happening was almost, which my preference was almost a complete inversion of that list where wow. WandaVision just grabbed me right out the gates, um, right from the start. And I was invested in that show um, day in, day out. Uh, recently on the feed, for people who've been listening, we're recording this now in uh, mid-November, but we've been doing the the SCP classic, you know, showing, replaying old episodes with uh, with Derek. And you can hear on some of them, we're, we're watching WandaVision week to week and we're talking <laughs> about it in like the preamble. Uh, so it's been reminding me of like my my impressions of the show while it was airing at the time. Wow. Yeah, I, I would love to go back to that moment and, and relive what I was thinking at the time. But I, I mean, I was looking forward to all of it. I, I was just so high on the, on the MCU post Endgame that I, I just thought Marvel Studios could do no wrong. And, you know, since then, it's it's been a little bit of a decline, but but coming out of Endgame, I just wanted to see everything that they would do. And of mm. course, Disney Plus was a very new streamer at that point. WandaVision, as you mentioned before, was the absolute first uh, content that they that Marvel Studios put on the platform. So I was all in. In addition, I was raised on sitcoms. Mm. I would watch sitcoms with my parents. And we would watch the ones in the 80s and 90s when I was a kid that were new. But I would also watch on like Nick at Night or some of those things. I would watch the Dick Van Dyke show and Bewitched and Brady Bunch and some of the shows that Mar that WandaVision is spoofing uh, or homaging, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So I was really deeply familiar with all of the, the tropes 
from those old shows. So when, you know, WandaVision opens up and it is so very, very clearly the Dick Van Dyke show, I was, I was all in. It felt, it was so authentically that 50s era uh, down to the, the studio audience and the practical special effects mm-hmm. when Wanda uses her magic and, you know, the the storylines, the writing, the pacing of the jokes, it all just felt so authentic from that era. And that was all I needed to be completely on board yeah. for this series. And, fa- and it really never let me go. And in fact, I think that they actually had, if I'm recalling correctly, they actually had Dick Van Dyke as a consultant on the show when, for, when they were oh, wow. doing those episodes. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, I was not, I wasn't sure I'd like, like the... I thought it was a neat idea, but I wasn't sure how they would fit it all together, how it would all work. And um, I was especially invested in the uh, in the episodes when they did the 80s and 90s sitcoms, because uh, those are the ones I grew up watching. So so those are the ones that I that I particularly got a I got a kick out of. But, but yeah, just the whole thing was very well done. And that first episode, it's it's funny. It's got heart. But then it's got that underlying layer of creepiness when the yeah. the boss starts choking the dipper at the dinner table and. Deborah Joe Ruff just keeps saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. And it's just like, it, and it's just, it was so remarkably unsettling, just this dramatic shift in tone. And, I, and as soon as that happened, I'm just like, oh, wow, this is, there's something interesting going on here now. Yeah. And to your point, they they pace out the, the creep factor and they pace out the reveals so slowly over the course of those first few episodes that you know, th- that, that scene that you mentioned with the boss choking, it doesn't take very long. It's maybe 10, 15 seconds. And then we're back to the, the regular sort of quote unquote show with mm-hmm. the live audience laughing along. And so it doesn't really even give you the chance to, to fully process it before you are moving forward. And it's so effective to be able to do that. And, and you're, the audience is thinking almost like, but did I, what did I just see? Mm-hmm. Did, did I just, and, and, but you can't dwell on it. They don't, the show doesn't let you. Um, and, and you're right that this, this was a dangerous undertaking overall, because I mean, the, the sitcom idea could have been really gimmicky if done. Poorly. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it could have fallen really flat, but they, they were, they, they adhered to that structure so well, the fidelity of it is so high that it not just, it doesn't just work. It elevates the show you know it's not just entertaining it's thematic yes yeah yeah and i I definitely want to talk about some of those themes because there's so much stuff and they they managed to to weave it all together pretty seamlessly in the end um but i think one of the things that i think i really love about this show and when the mcu is at its best like peak mcu is when they find a way to take the superhero concept and hang it on some other genre so so you know like the the Captain America movies, right? Winter Soldier is a political thriller first and a superhero movie second. And, you know, Ant-Man, it's a heist movie first and, you know, superhero movie second. Guardians of the Galaxy, space opera. And then you get something like this where it's it's sitcom and they weave in all, they use, they have, they've got this, they got the magic and the superhero tropes underlying all that stuff. And it, it manages to use the sitcom to an advantage to, to to really tell something interesting with that superhero story very similar to you know you mentioned tom king's vision series very similar to what what he did with that yeah no no i absolutely agree and and a testament to what you just said is i I showed wandavision to my parents who had seen none of the other mcu entries none of them 
So they didn't mm-hmm. know Wanda's backstory. I kind of gave him a little primer on, you know, all the horrible things that have happened to mm-hmm. her. Um, but they didn't know any of it. And I wanted them to just see the, the sitcom stuff. And they were hooked. I mean, they were mm-hmm. hooked the whole way through. And I think that that's exactly what you're talking about, that that it because it's so integral to the plot and the themes of the show and not just being used as, oh, wouldn't it be cool if mm-hmm. we did yeah. this, right? And it, and it would have been for a little while, but it would have worn thin real quick. Yeah. Um, the fact that each episode, as it moves through the decades, also continues to advance Wanda's storyline, continues to lay in the bits of mystery, continues to pull the reader, the, the viewer in until you basically just can't stand it anymore. And until you really learn to hate the words, please stand by. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, and then eventually, you know, you get to that fourth episode and we're outside the, the Westview hex. And finally we have some answers, not all of them, but we have some answers. Mm-hmm. And I think that did a lot. It was a really smart move to give us that break in the yeah. middle so that we could catch our breaths answer some questions while you know asking a few more to be answered in the in the back end yeah yeah some things i really loved about it too was um and this definitely factors into the the outside the heck stuff but the the casting in this is it's such a great cast like you know we didn't get to see a whole lot of elizabeth olsen in the movie so i wasn't sure what to expect from her headlining this this series um, but my God, she blew me away with how well she did in, in this. Like, she is just such a, a consummate performer. Like, she, the way she's seamlessly switching back and forth between these different uh, sitcom mom roles and then and then the Wanda slowly being corrupted by her own power. Even, like, you know, things that people have remarked on before, like her accent. And, but the way, and you watch her in this and you realize, oh, her accent is changing be, d- because she's doing that deliberately. And that's such a nice yes. little touch they threw in. Absolutely. I mean, you know, she appears on screen that first time as as the 50s homemaker, the sort of Mary Tyler Moore character. And, and she so captures it beautifully. And she's she's mugging for the studio audience at the same time she's mugging for the cameras and at the same time capturing this version of Wanda that's, of course, nothing like the actual mm. Wanda. And she continues to change that ever so slightly as she progresses through the decades so that, you know, by the time she's in the seventies, she's definitely more of a, you know, uh mom Brady uh, kind of, kind of figure. Mm-hmm. But then in that fourth episode, I think fourth or fifth, when she exits the hex to threaten sword, her Sokovian accent comes back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she is, she is the Wanda that we know and she's really menacing. I mean, she's real. She is, you know, in, in many ways, both the protagonist and antagonist of, the show yeah. uh, i mean you know we have agatha of course but but wanda herself is the one really perpetrating so much of the the horror right that befalls these people um and i agree with you i think she's absolutely brilliant in this and it is such a testament to her chemistry with paul bettany because you're right in the mcu prior to this there really isn't a ton of screen time with wanda and vision their love story unfolds in in bits and pieces but because they're so good together and what we're given is so well done the audience just buys the evolution mm-hmm. of their relationship I, I was completely invested so much so that you know when vision dies twice in in, in infinity war i mean it broke me 
Yeah. I mean, Infinity War broke everybody, but, you know, <laughs> Vision in particular, you know, because it was Wanda who had to do it. You know, she was the one who had to kill him, at least that first time. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And, you know, you know, they're on set, you know, holding their hands out and gesturing and making facial expressions. There's nothing there. There's no mm -hmm. X. There's no magic. There's no it's some flashing lights and some, you know, minor special effects. And yet they sell it so beautifully that by the mm -hmm. time we get to WandaVision, we're primed to be on board. Yes. And I just think that that is something that as artists, that's it's just magical that they can do that to me. I feel totally manipulated in the best way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and Paul Bettany, too. Like, I mean, I knew he was a great actor, but I didn't expect him to be so funny. Like he <laughs> I, I discovered he's got this whole talent for humor and that I don't think anybody saw coming. Even I think he even said that he was kind of surprised at how how well mm -hmm. he did in it. Um, but he he took to it like a duck to water. It was just it was. You know, that that first episode, like when he's in, in the office and they're talking about, you know, you're like a computer. He's like, what? Who told you that? And just like those little <laughs> like he just he slips into these sitcom dad roles so perfectly. And he's just so endearingly hilarious in like almost every scene he's in. And then the contrast with like the 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 much more serious portrayals of of the real vision and and then it contrasts that again when we get the cold white vision and he just if if i didn't know it was paul bettany in all those roles you could have easily convinced me it was a different actor in each one of those yeah. parts yeah no i i agree wholeheartedly I, I was particularly impressed the the second episode where they have to put on this magic show for the town and uh and vision is the magician and wanda is his assistant of course she ends up having to manipulate things using her real magic and all that and it's you know it's such a classic hokey sitcom storyline and they breathe this new life into it you know it gets this this chewing gum stuck in his gears internally which they <laughs> which they you know show us through this cheesy animation and you know it's almost like he's drunk and he's sort of stumbling around and messing up his lines and not doing the tricks properly and it's 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 just so funny and charming mm -hmm. because the vision we know is so charming. He's just such a kind, he's such a kind character. Um, and that sort of reminded me that, you know, the, the makers of the MCU and, and specifically, I guess, I guess the credit goes to Joss Whedon for, for age of Ultron on this um, who, you know, does great work, even if he has a figure is, is problematic mm -hmm. in his, in his personal life. Um, but to be able to, tell the audience who vision is and why he is a worthy hero without any dialogue just having him pick up thor's hammer and hand it to him mm. that one shot tells us everything we need to know about vision and he never sways from that he's always that character he's always that pure good character and it's a really good counterpoint to wanda who's really complex and she has that darker side which of course came out more when, when he was gone, but she's got the dark side and he is the light to her dark. Mm -hmm. And, and that I think also as characters is why they work so well in addition to the way they work as performers. Well, it's like, I think uh, it's Wanda who says that to him at the end. She was like, you know, you, he's basically her anchor, right? He's, yeah. he's the one who's like, and, and one of the things that I think I didn't really consider until watching this series was just 
how much shit Wanda has been put through since her introduction in the MCU. And you go back, it's easy to forget because it's spaced out and all over the over the couple of several years and several movies. And there's so much other stuff going on in each of these movies that we forget all the all the stuff she's been through, right? She was, you know, her parents died when she was a kid. Then they get, you know. They volunteer for these experiments where they're basically being tortured by the Mind Stone through for for Hydra's purposes, and then, um, and the fact that their that their parents die in an explosion from a Stark bomb that they're forced to yeah. sit there and stare at the whole <laughs> time, and then she gets roped into the Avengers world and the whole thing with Ultron, and you know Pietro dies, and then right after that she forms this bond with Vision. They're the two new people on the team, so that's easy to see why, and then. We get civil war and her life gets thrust into chaos again when she's responsible for this um, this tragedy in Lagos. And then she gets thrown on the run. And then and then we get to Infinity War. She's still on the run and then she has to kill Vision. And then then she gets wiped away for five years and then she comes back. Everybody is back except for Vision. And once more, she's just thrust into that role of being on her own completely. Um because at this point in the post-Endgame world, we really don't have much of a sense of what the Avengers situation is. I mean, we get bits and pieces here. We know that, you know, obviously um, Wong is talking with with Bruce and Carol, but that's like the only indication we get of, of what the what's going on with the Avengers after Tony and, and Cap have died. So so she's really got no one now. And you and once you watch the series, all that just comes into stark realization pun intended <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and that's another smart choice that they made is is you know coming off of endgame which is the biggest most sprawling epic you can imagine and to take a focus on essentially a singular character mm -hmm. and stakes are relatively small i mean she took over a town um but not the world Right. Um, certainly not the universe. So it's 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 a it's a small exploration of character. The plot is almost irrelevant. It is, you know, it is is watching a human being go through those five stages of grief, mm -hmm. you know, where she is. She is at first, you know, in complete denial, which is why she's creating this, this these escapist sitcom fantasy worlds, mm -hmm. you know, and going through, you know, we watch her go through, you know, the, the anger and the depression and then finally you know acceptance for whatever that's for, for whatever that's worth uh, and it's such a fascinating way to do it because they never use that terminology the only time it really directly comes up is is in the uh i think it, or in the next to last episode i think when she and vision are having the conversation mm -hmm. on the bed which i it's just such a brilliant thesis for the whole show when he says but what is grief if not love persevering that's exactly you know, what I wrote. I wrote down that exact phrase in my in my notes, just because that is it. It grabbed me from the first time I saw it, and it still grabbed me just as hard when I rewatched the show. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't watch that scene and not cry. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's so beautifully written. It is so beautifully acted. He, uh, Bettany delivers that line the absolutely perfectly, and mm -hmm. then you realize it really is a thesis for the entire show it's yeah. it is a testament to wanda's parents to her brother to her lover to her children it, you know she has now had to mourn all of them mm -hmm. vision multiple times yeah and and 
and no, Pietro I, multiple times too after this after I, this show. Absolutely right, right. I didn't even think about that. Um, but you know, to to and to have it all happen at the site of what was supposed to be the home that they were going to make for themselves, this yeah. empty lot where they were going to build a home and start a family. Uh, however, that was going to work with him being <laughs> an android or being a human, but whatever. Um, it, it, all of those choices are so incredibly effective to draw that emotion out of mm-hmm. out of the viewer, and at, at least as far as I'm concerned, it works. It really worked because I still can't watch that without crying. Well, I mean that that scene it perfectly illustrates why her and Vision uh, end up together in the first place, right? Because he really does. He they show us right in that scene wh- how, why he's her anchor, and like that. I think he's probably the only one who really has a sit down to talk with her about what she's been through because all the, the rest of the team, they're all, you know, they got their own stuff going on outside of the Avengers stuff. And it's just basically her and him in the compound together. And so for them to have that conversation, the way they do, it just, it rings so true. And it's, it, and it, I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of things to say about it, but but yeah, it's just a brilliant um, way to to showcase their relationship, and we get a little bit of that in in Civil War too, right? That scene when you know Vision first comes in, walking through her her wall in the in the sweater vest, and he's just and he's like, well, and just like their very brief conversation, you get the sense this is not the first time they've had these conversations, so you get the sense that there has been a lot of stuff going on between the movies and the fact that we get a little peek behind that curtain in just that scene, it helps so much with their characters. Yeah, I agree. There's, and there's a lot of subtle things in there too. I mean, obviously the way that they're dressed is is suggestive of a certain relationship, but you know, the fact that that's the first time I think where she calls him Viz, Mm -hmm. you know, she just shortens his name and, and that suggests a familiarity that wasn't there before in age of Ultron when, you know, they're bo- as you said, they're both new members of the Avengers, and you know certainly her allegiance is not entirely clear right away. Mm-hmm. But but when when they are having a conversation as as people, not as superhero, they're not in costume, right? They're in regular clothes, uh, and she calls him Viz. It's a it's a testament to the relationship that they're that they're building, and you know, and then it's interrupted because they're on opposite sides of the Civil War. You know, right. and, and she's she's the one who has to, uh, you know, she uses her powers to increase his density. So he falls through every floor of the compound. Um, and, you know, she doesn't want to do that. She mm. kind of has this pained look on her face that's similar to the look on her face when she's destroying the Mind Stone in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, or, mind, yeah, Mind Stone. Um, and, and just obviously to a larger degree. Um, it's, it's you know, that's a... a, it's a you just mentioned something, and I never really clocked this until you mentioned that, and it just kind of clicked into pace. But I realized that, you know, when you're saying that, you know, he never, Vision never gets angry or even really disappointed with Wanda in either when she does that in Civil War or with anything that happens in Infinity War. But then you look at this, and he does get angry with her, right? He's asking, like, what she's doing and all that. And that can be read two ways. One way is obviously that she's going so much further than she has before. But the other way you can read that is the fact that that's not really vision. That's just her interpretation of vision. So it's her being her, her it's her conscious coming through. That's the way I read it. 
is is the latter that because vision isn't real he's he's constructed to mimic the way that she sees vision and mm. so for the most part he behaves the way vision would behave but there are those moments where he's starting to figure out that something strange is going on that he lashes out i mean there's that classic you know they're in their sort of family ties 80s house and you know he rises up to threaten her and she rises up to meet him and he's saying like what aren't you telling me and she's got her powers out and, and you know it looks like they're about to engage in real superhero fisticuffs and of course they don't but but yeah it's she if he is a construction of her will and imagination then it really is like she's admonishing herself mm -hmm. for it except for the fact that you know there are some hints that both vision and the twins have some kind of autonomy as separate beings. Right. Um, you know, in the, in the, in the episode they do with, um, uh, I think it's the Malcolm in the middle um, parody with, with the Halloween one. Yeah. The kids are the ones who actually speak directly to the camera. Mm -hmm. They're the, they're the ones who do that. Mostly Billy. He speaks directly to the camera, which shouldn't happen if he's just a construct. Right. And yet he and yet he does. So I, I'm even unclear as to like where the line is between what is just something that she created and what is something that is actually real in the universe. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's Billy who does that is also very, very telling, given that he's got magic powers as well in the in the comics, right. too. Um, right. But I also want to talk about some of the, the supporting cast. I mean, first off, we get some great returnees, right? Bringing back um cat dennings as darcy and having her now after everything because when we first met her in the first thor movie she was a political science major but then after what she went went through she ends up becoming um going into astrophysics and she gets her doctorate and and at first glance you might think wait she goes from the dark world where she's a student and an intern and now she's a doctor and but you think about the amount of time that's passed like no actually that makes sense that makes total sense and yeah. it it's such a great way to showcase uh, a character's evolution and how they've changed with this universe too. Yeah, with everything she went through as you know, working with Jane Foster, I could see why she'd want to learn more about astrophysics and, and mm. become the expert so she doesn't have to be the intern anymore. She can actually take the lead, especially because at that point, at this point, Jane was really sort of out of the MCU for the most part. Yeah, yeah, up until uh, Love and Thunder. Yeah, I, I think up there until was Love and Thunder. Right. Yeah, I think there was some question yeah, she, of whether or not she would she would come back at all. Yeah, I mean, she took the world's most expensive nap in Endgame, and then uh, you know, <laughs> and then we saw her again in, in Love and Thunder. But um, yeah, and she was she was a welcome addition, and like she was in Thor: The Dark World, she really is the audience surrogate for WandaVision because she's watching the show along with us. And, and commenting on it. And, you know, when she, when she says, you know, I'm invested. Like, she's not kidding. She's legit invested in this fictional WandaVision show. Well, also when she, you know, she even says, like, to, I can't remember if it was to Wander a Vision. She says, hi, I'm a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, right. But even when, when Pietro pops up and she's like, they recast, she recast Pietro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of that was, yeah, she's, she is definitely the audience surrogate. And, like, and... And also, I love that how we come up with the fact that uh, Wanda's powers are called hex, right? The fact that it's just yeah. the hexagonal shape. Again, yeah. you know, just a little brilliant piece of world building in the in the in the MCU. Yeah. No, um, but also, 
uh, Randall Park, you know, coming back as Jimmy Woo. That was, I mean, you know, a lot of people were talking after that first episode they appeared in that want to see a series about uh, Darcy and and uh, Jimmy Woo going through and investigating weird MCU stuff. I would watch a Jimmy Woo Agents of Atlas show today mm -hmm. if, that, if that were on. I love him in this role. I loved him in it in Ant Man. And the, and the sequels to that. I, I think he's a great character. I think he's a great actor. And just like Darcy, we see an evolution in him, you know, taking much more of a lead, taking risks. You know, we, we saw him as a rule follower in Ant-Man because he had mm. to. Uh, and now, you know, he's disobeying S.W.O.R.D. and, you know, going behind their back and trying to figure things out. I, I mean, I love his, I love the first time we see him when he just approaches, I guess, is it? Darcy or is it the police officers and he pulls the card out because he mm -hmm. learned from Scott Lang how to do close-up card magic <laughs> like, like, if I recall correctly I, I, think, I think Randall Park that was actually Randall Park's idea to kind of show that he's been practicing it ever, ever since that man it's just brilliant you know it was this throwaway gag from an earlier movie and he mm -hmm. brought it back and it, it it's such a neat character piece you know, I, I, I like you. I, I just love him in this. Love. Him. I mean, I just I love Randall Park in anything. He's just one of those actors that every time I see him pop up in something, I get excited because he's just yeah. he's so funny. He's so endearing, even in monstrous roles like in um, the interview. He was great in that. And I still I was still charmed by him. <laughs> yeah, he has that appeal. He has that appeal. Um, and then also we get Tayona Paris, you know, picking up as adult Monica here again, you know right from the start she grabbed me like her yeah. the her portrayal of monica was just was just so perfect and it's what made me so much more excited to about the marvels was the fact that she was going to be in it yeah. um and and yeah again she she does great in that too but seeing her here and i wasn't sure what to expect i was not expecting us to see her get her powers this early on so i was really glad that yeah. they weren't you know taking too much time with that aspect of it too yeah, she's she's a, a talent that I'm so glad that, that they discovered for this because hopefully it'll catapult her into, you know, some level of stardom. She deserves mm -hmm. it. She's really, really great. Um, I loved her as Geraldine before she yes. was even really Monica. <laughs> you know, she's she is the, you know, the sort of classic, you know, friend neighbor. She's got a little sass to her. Um, and then we we watch her sort of slowly come out of the hex as Wanda starts to lose control and recall things about the real world and that's really what ignites the the movement into the fate the the grief phase of anger for mm -hmm. wanda because you know monica mentions pietro and she mentions ultron and that was that's not part of the deal this is a fictional world where grief plays no role right. you know sitcoms sitcom problems are solved in 22 minutes with a laugh and and this broke that for Wanda, and so you know, for her to shoot her out of the hex that way um, was just—I I was just floored. I mean, well, I mean speaking of that, floored. speaking of that thirty-minute format, I remember—I uh, think it was—it was either the the eighties episode. I think it was the eighties episode when the credits start rolling and the and the closing music, and then Vision's still talking to her over it because he knows yeah. she's trying to end the episode and move on to another to another change, and that was also like just such a brilliant use of the format absolutely absolutely 100 i had forgotten about that and now that you mention it I, I yeah you watch the credits and they're still you know the theme music is playing and they are 
having their fight. Like, no, you can't wish this away. You can't mm-hmm. magic this away. Something's going on. We're going to figure it out. And I'm so glad that Monica got to play such a huge role in that. Even yeah. if, even if they used her to sort of wrongfully tease, you know, a Fantastic Four appearance, <laughs> or, you know, talking. But, I, you know, I can live with that. I, I was ultimately okay with that little tease that did pay yeah. off. Well, we can talk about those there because there are a bunch of red herrings uh, in this, and oh, I yeah. definitely want to talk about those. Um, like, uh, well, even like Dottie, right? The you get bringing someone like Emma Caulfield, and everyone's expecting her to have some big role. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation mm. that oh, she's probably Emma Frost or something like this. Mm. And and when you think about it, like, yeah, Emma Caulfield is Emma Frost. That makes a lot of sense. And and just and that line too, she says in that second episode, the devil's in the details again. You know, yeah, the the constant Mephisto theories. Like, <laughs> I don't think there was there was one supporting cast member in this show who was not at some point fingered as M- Mephisto. Yeah, yeah, that was for, for those who don't remember because it was you know a few years ago now, uh, or for those who never experienced it or just weren't dialed in at the time. That was the that was the big conspiracy theory amongst mm. all the fans was every every citizen in Westview, every supporting character, even characters who hadn't appeared at all were rumored to be Mephisto. I mean, there's there are moments uh, towards the end of the series in, in Agatha's house where there are, you know, cicadas on the on the mm. curtains and things like and people thought that was Mephisto and you know I mean just ridiculous theories and none of them none of them paid off and, and you know what I'm off, okay yeah. I, I'm fine with that I think that I think the show is tight enough that you didn't need uh, to go that big yeah I agree I think it I mean my big theory was that it was actually going to be Cathan just because of all the things that he's been involved with in Wanda especially when they brought in the Darkhold as well so that was my big theory throughout the the series. And then when we got to the end, I'm like, okay, it's not what I expected, but it was still a lot of fun. It was still really good. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the all the little teases. I remember, you know, another frequent guest on this show, Adam Lance Garcia. I think after the, the show was over, he said, he's like, what if Mephisto was just the friends we made along the way or something along that? Those lines. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and then the the big tease, the big, you know, conspiracy theory was, you know, Pietro coming back. So everybody assumed that yeah. meant, oh, the Fox X-Men are going to be coming into the Marvel Universe now. It's going to be done through multiverse stuff. And in the end, it just turns out to be a boner joke. <laughs> and I actually, <laughs> you know what, because my whole big thing is I think the idea of bringing in the X-Men through multiversal stuff is is kind of lazy. I think there's there's much more creative ways to do it with the with the infinity stones and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole idea of, and also I, I did not really like Evan Peters as Quicksilver. He was, he really? was, inter- he was entertaining, but he's not Quicksilver to me, right? Quicksilver to me was much more, um, much more arrogant, much more hot headed. Evan Peters always felt more like impulse. Whereas I thought mm. Aaron Taylor Johnson was a lot closer to what I picture Quicksilver as being as. Yeah, you know, I guess I guess I agree with you to some extent. The, the, the reason why I, I tend to gravitate more towards Evan Peters' portrayal is because I think the powers were done so much better mm-hmm. in the X-Men franchise. I think by the time they got to Age of Ultron with, with Aaron, Ta- Aaron Taylor Johnson, um, I, I think they really couldn't do much more than they did because they didn't want to repeat what had been done with him 
in yeah. X-Men, you know, with the, the slow-mo sort of time in a bottle uh, type sequence, which is just so fun and brilliant and a great yeah. use of, of Quicksilver's powers. And he, and you're right, he is more of an impulse sort of impulsive and jokes and he's a jokester and right he's not that serious he, i mean the quicksilver in the comics i mean he's he's dead <laughs> you know and and, yes. and it's and it's explained beautifully in in peter david's x-factor series from the mid 90s where he's getting PMS. therapy from doc sam yeah where he's getting therapy <laughs> from doc samson and he's like you know imagine living your whole life where everybody's moving in slow motion you know you go to the bank just to cash a check and everybody in front of you is you know, it's like the, everyone's paying in nickels, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, imagine being like you'd be on edge all the time, too. And that totally sold me on the character. And I've loved him ever since. Yes, because it was a reason why he was a jerk to people. Um, I liked the lighter take of Evan Peters Quicksilver more so than than the MCU version. Plus, they dispatched with the MCU version so quickly. I felt like I didn't yeah. really get to know him and I really wanted to. But I did love the st- and it is stunt casting, but I loved it anyway. It is. <laughs> of bringing Evan Peters back as a as a tease at the end of an episode, a little cliffhanger. Because you're right, it did allow people to theorize about presence of the X Men multiverse. How does this all work? To reduce it all to a boner joke at the end would have been frustrating for me, but for the fact that he is part of agatha's sort of like she he was manipulated by her mm-hmm. and she playing the nosy neighbor there was a there was a neighbor slash best friend character in the 80s sitcom growing pains named boner mike Zeber's yes, best yeah. friend is named boner and so i thought it was a nice nod to that because he's fulfilling a not exactly, but a similar role. So I for a lot of people, it came out of nowhere because they didn't maybe get the reference. But to me, it was like boner, of course it's boner. <laughs> you know, I mean, now and that of you course, I did, a funny word. I did not get that reference either until you just said that. And then as soon as you said mentioned growing pains, it clicked in for me and I remembered boner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a great point. I completely missed that reference. Um, yeah. which I imagine a lot of people did because you know how many people remember growing pains. <laughs> Like I said, I grew up on these sitcoms. I, I, I have a I have a memory for these things where where other more important information should be <laughs> you know, taking up space in there. Yeah. Um, also, there was the Harwood, which I thought Harwood, the director of Sword, was kind of interesting because I feel like twice now in these movies we've gotten Henry Peter Gyrick esque characters who are not Gyrick. Like first was right. um, uh. Everett Ross in Civil War. He's very much in the Gyrick role in that movie. And and yeah. then here we get Harwood, who is like almost 100% Gyrick. And it it, it, it kind of makes me laugh. I'm like, how many times are we going to get Gyrick before we actually see the character? I know. Maybe it'll take the X-Men in order to get Gyrick. But mm-hmm. but yeah, they, 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 this character seems created whole cloth for the show. I don't, I don't have any reference for Haywood in, in any of the comics. I don't, Not that I can remember. No. Yeah. Um, but they sometimes off... sometimes they'll take like um, just random names of characters in the comics. They did that it, for um, Ethan Hawke's character in Moon Knight. They just took a character uh-huh. from like it was a throwaway villain name, and they just crafted this other villain story because they liked the name, basically. Yeah, I neither one of them uh, were meant anything to me. Um, he does start off much more sympathetic, I think, than Kyra mm. ever ever was in the comics. Haywood, uh, that is. Um, 
you know, you, you kind of like him, you understand him. He seems definitely on Monica's side, wants to see her succeed, even if he has to enforce this new rule that she's, you know, she has mm-hmm. to stay on earth and all that. Um, I, I felt like his, his heel turn was a little too abrupt for me toward mm-hmm. the end. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's clearly out for blood I and mean, he's willing to shoot children. Yeah. Uh, you know, if Monica hadn't stepped in the way and, and, and absorbed those bullets, you know, he was, well, he was I mean- about to shoot children. You also have to consider: Are they really children? Like that? There's that part of it too. I, I, morally, ethically, does that mm-hmm. does that make it better? I, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. It's it's very gray. It's very gray. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I feel like because um, I think they'd made some changes due to like uh, COVID restrictions and all that, and so I feel like there was. It definitely feels like there was some rewriting in those in those later episodes. I think, uh, and I think Haywood is is definitely one of those things that that came through. It felt like I, I agree with you. I think his heel turn is a bit abrupt, and I think that might explain why. Also, Agatha too. As much as I loved what um, Catherine Hahn did, again, you know, I did not know she was this great an actress. Um, oh, she's phenomenal. She is amazing. Like she's doing all these different sitcoms role, and then she transitions seamlessly into the into this twisted magician character. Um, and like I, my impression of it was that she was, in a way, in like kind of this roundabout way, serving as as a mentor to to Wanda, like like uh, Agatha is in the in the comics. And then when it turns out that she, yeah, it ends with them having this big magic fight in the air. It felt a little incongruous. It didn't feel like it completely fit with what had happened before. So I think there was some rewriting going on there as well. Yeah, I, I don't know to what extent those rewrites took place, but you're probably right. In, you know, in that COVID really kind of botched things, and I and I know Wandavision wasn't even originally intended to be the first show that mm-hmm. they released. I think Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be first, and I believe and for so. Whatever yeah. for whatever reasons, scheduling wise, COVID wise, they they had to put this one out. First, well, yeah, because the original which... the original plot of um, Falcon and Winter Soldier involved a, involved the biological weapons. So they had to go and read and change oh. all that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Um, it, it ended up working out fine. I think the order mm-hmm. in which they were released actually actually worked really, really well. Um, but, you know, uh, Agatha is, other than Wanda and Vision themselves, Agatha is absolutely my favorite part mm-hmm. of the show. I think she's just brilliant. Catherine Hahn is, I've always known her as a comedic actress, and, and she certainly was here, but what she was able to do dramatically is is absolutely stunning. Um, and then the fact that we get that sort of bonus theme song, you mm-hmm. know, Agatha All Along <laughs> theme song. I'm actually wearing an Agatha All Along shirt right now. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a little off camera, but you can hear yeah, it. Oh, that's awesome. It's <laughs> <That is> so <laughs> cool. <laughs> I felt like that was appropriate for, Very for the appropriate, day. But, yes. <laughs> you know, that, that Munsters sounding theme song uh, was just so... So brilliant, so brilliant, um, and and to, to recap, sort of all the moments in the series so far where Agatha was sort of pulling all the strings, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout, and then to have the follow up be that that episode where she sort of walks Wanda through all the different traumas of her of her life is so incredibly emotional mm-hmm. that, like you. I don't know that I wanted to see their final confrontation be 
basically the same thing you get at the end of most of these types of movies. Yeah. It's, you know, two characters with similar powers shooting beams at each other. Um, there's a sky beam, there's, you know, debris floating around and, and it, it feels and looks like the end of a Marvel movie, which doesn't sound like a criticism necessarily, but I, I, I intended as one. It's a minor one, but it but it's a yeah. criticism nonetheless. No, yeah, I mean the I felt like the MC yeah, the MCU movies, they do have that third act problem where a lot of them fall into that trap of just like, you know, throwing uh throwing lights at each other back and forth. And it, even like in and you know, I that's what I love about Civil War so much because it subverted that where they has the big the big superhero showdown is the midpoint of the movie, and then the um, right, and then the third act climax is this much more personal showdown. And yeah. you know, I was hoping for something like that with like Shang Chi is my go to example for this, where that third act was very disappointing because you have this this incredible dynamic father son conflict going on, and you've got these two great actors, and they've been doing this you know so well up until this point, and then it gets it gets kind of overshadowed by this big army fight with these magic dragons. Yes. yes. Uh, and, and what should have been a really grounded and emotional fight, as you say, between mm -hmm. a father and a son, you know, suddenly, right. Dragons are popping out of the water and, and the dragons fighting the dragon and they're shooting rings at each other. And, and the next thing, you know, you're losing what made, what, what invested you in the first place, which is character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I felt that to some degree here. I didn't, didn't mm -hmm. it didn't take me completely out because Wanda and Agatha are still, you know, there is still dialogue among the fight. And, yeah. you know, Wanda is becoming the thing that, you know, we suspected she was going to become. I mean, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing how excited we can get just hearing the words that we already knew. Like when she says, you know, you are the Scarlet Witch. Right. Like, yeah, they, they haven't actually used that phrase in the entirety of the MCU. Right. When it's they the asked ask Jimmy said, Woo, like, does does um does Wanda have a code name or anything? He's like, nope, no code name. I'm just like, right. and I thought about it, I'm like, oh my god, he's right. They never the, the closest we ever get is when Iron and when Iron Man calls her a witch in Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah. Right. But not Scarlet Witch, because right, exactly, she wasn't yeah. That yet. And you know, here, you know, to watch her then, you know sort of rearrange her, her outfit so that she's wearing, you know, a version of, you know, the Scarlet Witch outfit that in, the, in the sort of darker hues mm -hmm. that we normally see. I, yeah, it's thrilling. It's really thrilling to watch her become the thing we know she's going to become. Well, also the way they work in the classic costumes too for the Halloween, like uh, she's a Sokovian fortune teller and he's a, yeah. he's a Mexican wrestler. <laughs> Uh, it's so it, it's so wonderful because it's in such a, a long tradition in the MCU of mm -hmm. giving the the fans a look at a much more comics accurate picture. You know, in, in Captain America: First Avenger, when he before he becomes fully Captain America, he's doing USO shows, and right. they put him in this goofy looking old style Captain America costume. You know, or in Luke Cage, technically not MCU anymore, yeah. but you know he's wearing the white the yellow <laughs> shirt and he's got the tiara. And the, and the chain belts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, we, you know, we keep getting these these really cool glimpses of, you know, of, of the costumes that we've come to know that we know would be way too silly mm -hmm. to actually do on screen. So in addition, we get, you know, these really great screen looking costumes. So when she becomes yeah. the Scarlet Witch, it's just 
it's just a no i mean pun intended it's just a magical moment yeah yeah uh for her i just i absolutely love it and we, we even get that you know that glimpse into where agatha comes from where her mm-hmm. magic comes from and i was i was just as compelled by that even though she's a brand new character we don't even we don't even know yes yeah um well also i think the the final fight i think one of the things that helps offset kind of that you know oh another another flying magic battle type of thing is the fact that we get it's contrasted with that very excellent way that vision takes down white vision right the the whole ship of theseus i mean of course vision is going to win a battle with himself (laughs) by debating philosophy it's totally fits for that character uh, it does. It does. I mean, we do get some flying around and phasing through each other and that kind of fun stuff. But you're right. I mean, the climax is entirely cerebral. I won't even say emotional because they're completely mm-hmm. devoid of emotion. No, it's completely it's all... based on logic. It's all, it's yeah. perfect for that character. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, listen, gives us all hope that that vision, while while the Westview vision had to go, mm-hmm. there is still that white vision out there with his memories exactly so yeah. that they, whenever they want to use him he's he's there well yeah and people from who remember Buzik's avengers run will remember that's what happened to to vision in the comics he ended up yeah. getting he got his memories back but he didn't have the same emotional attachment to them necessarily he had to reestablish that emotion over time which is something we could yes. see happening in the future because in fact they were I, i'm there was rumors that they were going to be doing a vision series. Um, like it was going to be called vision quest, I think. And then mm. it's, I think, I think rumors are that it's been scrapped. I mean, I hope not because I think oh. that would be amazing, but um, hopefully we can still get that. Yeah. I know that there's been quite a bit of shuffling around in the MCU for a number of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fears of superhero uh, oversaturation or superhero fatigue um concerns over the the workload of the visual effects artists mm-hmm. um you know certainly in this newer phase 5 there have been more disappointments i think than than marvel studios is used to um, right. so i think they're just sort of really thinking how much content they really want to put out there which yeah. makes which keeps pulling me back to you know, that that time when WandaVision was new and it was coming out weekly when it was still so exciting mm-hmm. um, and and that weekly release schedule. I can't I can't say enough about how smart that was, too. Not only does that mimic, obviously, the way that sitcoms actually aired back in the day. Right. Um, so it's perfectly fitting with this with this show. But, you know, it also allowed us finally to have a week to discuss and debate and theorize you know all that mephisto and pietro and multiverse stuff would never have really been a thing right if they had dropped the whole season all at once people binged it for a weekend and then moved on to the next thing on monday and i feel like of all the of all the series we've gotten so far i think only um wandavision and uh i mean i've all enjoyed them except for secret invasion to to varying degrees but i think the only ones that truly fit into the that realized they were doing a weekly television show were WandaVision and She-Hulk. All the rest, they right. it was just right. basically a long movie that was chopped up. Right. Right. And it makes sense because those are the two that that use the medium of television as a, a thematic touchstone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and it yeah. really works for those two in ways that it wouldn't work for, let's say, Moon Knight or Miss Marvel or any of the others. Right. So that 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 makes total sense. Yeah. Um, 
what else did I want to mention about this? Oh, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how I think they kind of answered the question of how do they introduce mutants in this series? Because my my what I because there's that um, there's that scene in Endgame when Rocket says that, you know, when Thanos, you know, snapped on Earth, it had this massive release of cosmic energy. Nothing's ever been seen before. And then it happened two more times when, you know, Bruce did it and then Tony did it. And we see in this when Wanda gets her powers, right? There's that scene when, um, first off, again, the, the way of introducing her love of sitcoms through there are these div- the bootleg DVDs that her father would buy and they'd yeah. watch them and that's how they learn English. That was so unexpectedly touching, that scene there. Yeah. And then and then when um, when Wanda saves her and Pietro and Agatha remarks, she's like, you know, this was, you know, this was supposed to die on the vine. Right. It it feels like what she was saying was this is this was a latent mutation. You weren't supposed to have mutant powers. Your kids maybe were supposed to have them. Yeah. And then when she touches the Mind Stone, it unlocks her. It jumpstarts her evolution. That's kind of what I think happened, because we see now mutants exist in the MCU. We've gotten Namor who calls himself. He literally is Marvel's first mutant, both in the MCU and in the right. comics. First one right. who actually calls himself a mutant, and he's you know centuries old. So we know mutants have been around in some small number, and then we get Kamala at the end of her show, and we get the little mm-hmm. X Men stinger, and then says it's a <laughs> mutation. So mutants exist in this universe. So my theory is that they've they've been latent, and like you know maybe Xavier and Magneto have been gathering the the, the ones that exist in secret into Krakoa, and and Krakoa can move around, so that's why they haven't been able to get detected. But now with the Infinity Stones, everybody, you know, it's jump-started evolution now. And so now there's tons of mutants around and causing trouble. And that could lead to Magneto and Xavier splitting and all that kind of stuff. And it feels like a much more organic way to introduce mutants into this world. And also reason to have the reason why people would be afraid of mutants because, well, the thing that caused the greatest genocide in intergalactic history has now brought us all these people with superpowers. Yeah, no, you make uh, you make good observations and good points about that. I mean, it, you know, the assumption was Wanda got her powers from Hydra experimenting on her with mm-hmm. the Infinity Stone, and when we watch that scene of of the her apartment bombing in Sokovia when she's a child, and it does appear as if she it, like that we you know we were led to believe that the the Stark bomb that that lodged in their apartment was was just a dud and. You right. Know, she and Pietro were hiding under the bed for three days, watching it, waiting for the moment it would detonate and destroy them. But the, sh- there is that moment where she sort of reaches out suggestively. And it's not entirely clear whether she really did manipulate it or what, but I think it's suggestive enough. And mm-hmm. then you have Agatha's comment about it. And then, you know, there's the Monica of it all who, you know, gets her powers by going in, out, in and out mm. of the hex right she's passing through this barrier that is a manifestation of an infinity stone essentially right. because that's where wanda's powers come from so you know if she is essentially mutated by it then certainly this idea that all of the snaps you know that that destroyed half the population brought half the population back and destroyed the bad guys that 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 could be that could very well be the way that we get mutants um, and it feels I, like I, I, yeah a much more a much better way of using the mcu to its advantage as opposed to just well there's a multiverse and now they're here right 
Right. Right. Although now that they have the multiverse and well established the multiverse, I don't know how much restraint I trust them to use in that not too, just yeah. explaining it away with <laughs> with the multiverse because because like you said, it's it you know it, there is a laziness to it, but because it's easy, that might also make it a more attractive choice. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that mm-hmm. because the multiverse saga has gotten so much criticism, they're not going to go that route. So if they were thinking that, maybe they're rethinking it now. Um, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention is the the ending here and how it factors into Multiverse of Madness. Because one of the biggest criticisms of Multiverse of Madness, which Elizabeth Olsen kind of echoed herself, is the fact that, well, didn't we already do the story of, and yeah. it feels like, you know, Wanda, Wanda's character, a lot of people criticize Multiverse saying that she had regressed after what had happened in WandaVision. Um, I've got kind of a different take on that. But before I do, I was curious what you had to, how you saw that. Yeah, I, I, I'm of two minds. My initial reaction to that movie was that it was a, a Wanda character assassination. Mm-hmm. That she had come to accept that Vision and her kids were gone at the end of WandaVision. Um, but we do know she's in possession of the Darkhold. And we do know that, the, you know, the last thing we sort of see is, you know, we hear her children calling to her from somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and she has secluded herself so that she can learn this dark magic and hopefully bring her children back. So it's not like it's, it comes out of, you know, completely out of nowhere, but right for her to become such an unrepentant villain, to have lost herself so, so much after repenting for what she had done to the citizens of Westview, it was too much too soon for me. I mm-hmm. think if they had, if they had slow played it a little bit, and and we got glimpses perhaps of Wanda as maybe you know uh, end credit scenes and some some other projects where we see her taking that dark turn and then making her appearance known yeah. in, in, in Multiverse of Madness. On the other hand, I, I thought she was kind of an exciting choice. And the idea mm-hmm. of the multiverse where you know she can't have the kids that she created, can she find a universe where they exist? But I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm very conflicted on it. I think I'm still conflicted. No, I, I. I totally get that. Like my interpretation of it is, she realizes she can't do this on her own. So she starts studying the Darkhold to learn more about her powers, and then she ends up getting corrupted by the Darkhold. Is how I kind of read that. Now I will say this though. I. I do agree that it was way too rushed in Multiverse of Madness, and it was that aspect of it was not explored anywhere near the depth it needed to be. I think we needed another movie between WandaVision and Multiverse of Madness to better kind of show how she's being corrupted by the Darkhold. So that's the way I read it, but it is definitely something that doesn't, um, that is not executed well. Yeah, I really wanted to love multiverse of madness mm. and i wanted to love wanda as an antagonist i just i i, I enjoy it there, there are definitely things about the movie that i enjoy um but i i can't get all the way there with it no yeah i, I totally get that and yeah. although i will say man she was the way sam raimi directed her in some of those scenes man she was damn creepy yeah she was terrifying, she was terrifying. yeah yeah um but yeah I, so i i feel like it's Multiverse of Madness definitely could have executed that much better than they did. And um, and that kind of leads to the final question I had here that I wanted to talk about is where do you think Wanda and Vision go from here? Or do you think Wanda goes anywhere from here after Multiverse of Madness? 
uh, yeah, that, so th that's one of the reasons why I can't reconcile this is because where does Wanda go? I mean, I, I don't think she can be a hero again after all mm -hmm. that. And I, and I, and I don't know, I don't know how you bring her back. I mean, mm -hmm. Vision is certainly a, a, a calming presence for her. So if somehow they could reunite wherever White Vision is now with, with Wanda, perhaps together they can be happy and have what they want. But I, I, I don't know. I, you know, mm -hmm. after WandaVision, I thought there were so many great possibilities for where both of them could go. And I, and I just don't know at this point, do you have any, yeah. do you have any ideas of where, where you think it might go? This is something I had thought about recently. And I think would, would be kind of cool because Hawkeye kind of served as a mentor role to Wanda in both age of Ultron and, and civil war. And yeah. I would kind of like to see like, a West Coast Avengers movie where like Hawkeye, like let's say Wanda pops up back on the East Coast, on the West Coast, Hawkeye goes to to figure out what's going on. You know, War Machine's already on the coast, so they team up there. Yeah. They bring in White Vision. Maybe they hook up with, uh, you know, they bring in uh, Photon and hook up with Wonder Man as well, introduce him. And I think yeah. that would be a cool yeah. way to, that would give a good story point to have a reason for all these characters to get together where they're trying to find Wanda and also serve as a way to have a, uh, an Avengers movie that doesn't necessarily have to deal with the end of the world, but it can be like a low key right. kind of fun Avengers movie. Yeah. I mean that I, mean, I would be on board for that. And the added bonus is you can do some of that great interpersonal relationship work with, with uh, Wanda and, and wonder man. Yes. Like yeah. Busiek and Perez did where if, if they start a relationship, Wanda, of course, thinking vision is never coming back and mm. then vision comes back. And yes. his, you know, and Wanda is now with somebody else. That that potentially could, you know, be the kind of interpersonal conflict that could be really interesting to explore. Well, especially because in the in the music run, Wonder Man was resurrected because of Wanda. So there's that right. aspect of it too. You could have him his powers be created by her accidentally. Right. And the added bonus of the comics universe is it wasn't vision created using the mental engrams of yes of wonder yeah. man so the, essentially his personality like one of the reasons why they explain why vision and wanda were attracted to each other is because vision really has wonder man's mm -hmm. uh, sort of the parts of his personality let's say yeah yeah uh, which the mcu I, I don't think would do i don't think they right because vision's already here he yeah yeah wonder i mean man at this point but you could just have it be like, you know, she reminds him of, he reminds her of vision type of thing would work fine. Sure. I think. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're almost out of time, but is there anything, uh, any, any final thoughts you wanted to mention about uh, WandaVision? Yeah. The only two other things that I wanted to bring up that I think were especially effective, um, the theme songs at the, oh, at the yes. start of each episode <laughs> that were done in the styles of those various sitcoms through the ages which I thought were so brilliant. I mean, they got the writers from the Frozen franchise to to write uh, and perform those. Uh, and they all have, uh, they're all different stylistically, but they all have the same note progression for WandaVision. They all mm -hmm. do that in some way, shape, or form. So there is a unity to, to all those theme songs. Um, and then the commercial breaks... Yes, they also yeah. give us, which all, you know, at first just seemed like, again, a gimmick, but each of the products that are being sold have something to do with Wanda's old traumas. 
Mm. Right. So so, you know, her mistake in the beginning of uh, of Civil War, you know, where she, she blows the up Lagos, uh, yeah, the Lagos. Yeah, the uh, Lagos. Right. So Lagos. And there was like the Stark toaster that is making mm. that that same sort of detonation noise like the it's got the arc reactor sound to it. You know, um, you know, the idea of the depression and, all, and like these are very clever ways of just nodding to mm. You know the the elements of her past before we get to the episode entitled uh, uh, "Previously On." Yeah, all the, yeah. of course, all the episode titles are classic sitcom phrases like uh, "like Previously On" and "A Very Special Episode" and things mm. like that um, that are just staples of the of the the sitcom tropes. I just I just thought all of those that layering of things it, it could have been too much, but it was the right amount. It was exactly the right pressure to just make it all feel cohesive and unified and i just i love it and i appreciate it well also the the nexus commercial was the one i thought was interesting too because that kind of it both serves as a red herring because it teases the whole multiverse type stuff but it also hints at what's going to be coming later in wanda's future too you know got the whole nexus of realities thing from the from man thing so i thought that was also a, a nice little touch at first i'm i'm thinking like wait that doesn't seem to fit with the others because you get stark you get strucker hydra lagos all connected to her trauma then you get the the magic thing with the shark but um (laughs) but and then you get the nexus which which feels incongruous from the rest but when you think about it 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 both serves as that red herring but also now that we know looking back it's a tease of what else was coming later absolutely absolutely yeah overall i just I, i i keep going back to this series i think about it a lot and and it's something that I know I'm going to rewatch again and again. Every time I meet somebody who says that they've never seen it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've watched I watched it with my parents. I watched it with my kids separately, like some of my kids at first and then others of my kids. Um, I've watched it with friends. I've introduced friends to it. I've seen it at this point, probably eight or nine times. Oh, wow. Through. And, and it just it gets richer and, and better every time I see it. I just and and to me, none of the other shows have really touched it in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of the quality. I've enjoyed a lot of the other shows, but just in terms of the thought and the level of detail, nothing to me has ever touched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this, like the ranking of the different shows. Hawkeye, I loved Hawkeye. I thought that was very well I did done. Too. She-Hulk, too. I love She-Hulk too. But um, and I, WandaVision, in retrospect, I thought it had kind of it had kind of fallen down my list of rankings because it. I think a big reason just because it's been so long since I've seen it, you know, tainted a little bit by the the disappointments of Multiverse of Madness. Sure. But when I went back and rewatched it for this episode, I'm I fell in love with it all over again. And yeah. it was kind of like, oh yeah, I remember why I liked this show so much the first time I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. I just I really, really truly love it. Yeah. Well, Scott, thank you so much for for coming on. This is a lot, this was a fun discussion. Um, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Anything you'd like to anywhere you'd like to send people before we close up? No, I I I'm guest on other people's things. I don't I don't do things on my own. I've you know my my own classrooms, my own students. But uh, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to be a guest and and participate in these discussions. I, they're they're really fun, and I'm I, I want to thank you for you know for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. This was a blast. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. You're more than welcome to come back anytime you want to have another one of these discussions. I'd love to. I'd love to.
All right. Well, that does it for us. SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. We are Super Cinema Pod on Instagram and Blue Sky mostly. You know, try and stay away from Twitter these days. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, you can uh, support the show, patreon.com slash Super Cinema Pod. And I've got my comic book project, Paragons of Earth, where we've taken a bunch of public domain superheroes, uh, reinvent them for the modern day. We are still funding that. Or even if the funding is period is over, you can still go and um purchase it from the the website that is crowdfunder.com slash paragons comic that's crowdfunder no e.com slash paragons comic please make sure to go check that out um thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time thanks for listening to the superhero cinephiles podcast superhero cinephiles is produced by me percival constantine with the support of zencaster the show is created by myself and the late great Derek ferguson our host emeritus Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com to listen to past episodes or find out how you can be a guest yourself. Support the show by visiting our advertiser links or click the Buy Me a Coffee link on the website to make a one-time donation. You can also support us by visiting Crowdfunder.com slash Paragons Comic. That's Crowdfunder with no E dot com slash Paragons Comic and help support my superhero comic book, Paragons of Earth. We are Super Cinema Pod on both Instagram and Blue Sky, so please be sure to follow us. We'd also appreciate if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share us with your friends. Thank you for listening. And as always, good night, good evening, God bless.